Welcome to the Josh Blair Ministry Podcast, a podcast all about bringing inspiration and encouragement to your daily walk with Jesus. We pray the message you hear impacts you as you follow Christ. Excited to, to bring the word to you this morning. I believe the Lord is really going to speak to our hearts today, and I'm excited about that. Like uh, Joaquin said, it's, it's been a busy week. Uh, our, our community groups kicked off, and like he said, there's, I heard a lot of great things about it. If you're a part of our community group, would you just raise your hand real quick that you're plugged into a group somewhere? Awesome, fantastic. Those of you who did not raise your hands, uh, that was a way for me to find out. So you need to go sign up after service and join a community group. This is why, this is why we really believe that you should do that, because we believe that our community groups joining together is not only going to bless you, it's going to bless our church, and then our church, in return, is going to continue to bless our community. And those things happen in community. Do you know, being with people is not just a good thing, it's a God thing. God established us to be together. And the church here is, is a picture of it, but it's not the only picture. There's another picture of us joining in homes and loving. And so, uh, if you missed out this week, that's okay. Uh, it was great, but you can actually join up this week as well. Uh, when they kick off again, and, and I believe that as you do that, uh, that, that God will continue to move in your life. So uh, we're continuing on our series this morning on miracles found in the Gospel of Luke, and what I love about Luke's Gospel is how it gives us this picture of who Jesus is, this, uh, who, how, how Jesus is, is, is sent with a heart for the lost, a heart for the broken, a heart for the outcast and a heart for the poor. We get that picture in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke does this. He, he reveals the heart of Jesus to us by his opening statements that Jesus makes by reading the prophet Isaiah uh, in chapter 4. And Isaiah wrote about a king to come uh, in, in, his, in his prophecy. And 500 years later, Jesus shows up on the scene. And this is how Luke opens it in chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to chapter 4, starting in verse 16. And Luke talks of Jesus. He says this, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as, he was, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue, the synagogue being the meeting place, the center of their community where they sought God together. And on the Sabbath day, which is Saturday, and he stood up to read. And the scroll, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He sent me to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the, in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What did Jesus say that he was going to do? He said, I'm going to proclaim the good news to the poor. The good news to the poor. He said that he's going to proclaim liberty to the captive. I think it's funny, sometimes we often... Uh, only like to, we spiritualize what Jesus is saying here, but do you know that he is actually intending for the physical and spiritual poor to hear the good news? Those who are captive both physically and spiritually to hear the good news of who Jesus is and what, he, what he's doing to come set us free. 
Do you know that he said he was going to help recover or set to recover the sight of the blind? He did that physically and spiritually, yes? He said that he was going to set the oppressed free, both physically and spiritually, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, both physically and spiritually. And sometimes we have a tendency to over-spiritualize these sayings, but, but thinking that uh, the physical and the spiritual are two separate things entirely. But do you know when the gospel comes, it affects both realities, our physical and our spiritual. Why do we know that? Because what we do physically affects us spiritually. Yes, we would say yes to that. What we do spiritually affects us physically. So for us as a church to try to separate those two things and say God really wasn't, he didn't really care about the poor people, he just cared about the poor in spirit would be a mistake. Would you agree? Because we would not say that about those who are blind. We know that God wants to open up the eyes of the blind, both physically and spiritually. So God is wanting to do something. And God's heart is for those who are oppressed. And Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, is revealed as the one who comes to tear down walls. Tear down walls of poverty, walls of oppression, walls of separation that divide us, both physically and spiritually. And Jesus prayed this in John chapter, 5, uh, John chapter 17, probably the, the most powerful prayer that he said for us, the church. He said, Father... Let them be one as we are one. Do you know there's power in unity today? Jesus is calling us to be unified, and I love this heart that Jesus has for us, and it's revealed in, this, in, the, in the miracle story that we're going to go through today. It demonstrates Jesus' heart for those who have been broken and destitute, oppressed, held captive, and become poor. In and, and Luke chapter 8, we start there looking at verse 40. It says, and now when Jesus returned, the crowd return, uh, welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Now, who, who is Jairus? The Bible tells us he's the ruler of the synagogue. That's the place where the people of God in that town would meet and come and worship God together and fellowship and be in community. It was the hub of their community. It was the center of their community. Much like the church used to be back in the day. It's where everyone gathered in the town. Everybody knew each other. That's where they would come to worship and, and fellowship together. And Jairus had this only daughter who was nearly 12 who was dying. And Jesus had compassion on him, it says. And so he begins to go towards his house. And as he begins to go, this happens. As Jesus went... The people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had an issue, of, uh, who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, they could not, uh, she could not be healed by anyone. How long did she suffer? 12 years. This is ironic. The daughter, Jairus, 12 years old, she suffered for 12 years. I want that to be held in your mind as we continue. Verse 44 says, She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately the discharge of blood ceased. Can I read that again? She came up behind him, touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately the discharge of blood ceased. Joaquin, would you come and join me real quick? You're going to be Jesus. No shocker. All right, and here's your robe. I don't know. I have no idea, man. I'm white. I don't know what you're talking about. All right. 
All right, you're Jesus, so turn around. So it says the, the, the woman, notice that she didn't go around the front. Do you ever wonder why she didn't go around the front and just ask him for a healing? Other people in the gospel did that plenty of times, right? They would come to him, just like Jairus, who fell at his feet asking for a miracle. But she, she didn't do that. She snuck in. While the crowd was around her, she snuck in. She kind of crawled in just to touch the fringe, just to touch the hem of his garment. Why did she do that? Why did she sneak in? Yeah. She snuck in because she knew she couldn't approach Jesus face to face. And the reason she couldn't approach Jesus face to face was because Old Testament law told her she could not. Thank you, Jesus. You can keep that with you if you'd like. You can use that to touch his fringe uh, later on. (laughs) She couldn't do it. She couldn't approach Jesus face to face because Old Testament law regarding women who were in their time of month, in their menstruation cycle, were considered unclean, right, for a period of time. The Bible tells us this, that, that women who, who had this issue were considered unclean seven days and, uh, until af- after they were completed, after the cycle was completed. And so she was considered unclean. In fact, Leviticus 15, chapter, or chapter 15, verse 25 says this, If a woman who has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, and if, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. As during her time, uh, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. So when, when, when you're ceremonially unclean, according to the Old Testament and according to the law, they could not touch anything clean or they would make it unclean, right? In fact, the Bible tells us in, in Leviticus that if a person who's clean even touches where she sat or maybe where she laid down, they became ceremonially unclean. And so this woman had been excluded for the community during this time of un, her uncleanness. She was excluded. She couldn't go to the synagogue to worship, to worship God. She couldn't fellowship with other people. She had become an outcast in her own community. She couldn't gather. How long, again, did this woman have the issue? Twelve years. Can you imagine twelve years of isolation? Twelve years without physical touch? Twelve years without being able to be in the house of God? Twelve years, this woman was oppressed and held in captivity to this issue. For twelve years, she had spent all of her money trying to find a cure to the point where she became poor because she had nothing left, trying to find a cure for this disease, this ailment in her body. What would you do? What would you do if you were told that you were disqualified from worshiping God because of something that was going on in your body. What would you do? For this woman, she had one last hope. That hope was named Jesus. Jesus came into town and she saw her opportunity, but she was afraid. She was afraid. She knew the law and she was afraid that if she touched him and people knew it, that that he would become unclean like her. 
She was afraid. She didn't want to be seen as going up and touching something clean and, and breaking the law. And so she snuck up behind him and just tried to touch the hem of his garment, taking the risk to make him unclean. But this is what's beautiful about Jesus. This is what's so powerful about our God. That when the unclean thing touches him who is clean, the unclean thing does not make him unclean. When the unclean thing touches our God, the unclean thing becomes clean. Because there's nothing that we can do. There is no uncleanliness in our life that could ever dirty up who God is. And Jesus is, is representing here this time that he says, I don't, it doesn't matter what you bring to me. You can't make me unclean. If you touch me, I'll make you clean. Amen? Our God makes the unclean clean. And we can know that, we can say that, and sometimes we live our lives, though, still thinking that stuff that's happened to us and stuff in our life or things that we've done, God would never forgive us of. Can I tell you, the Bible makes clear in this story that if you would just take it to Jesus, he would make that unclean thing clean again. He would make that brokenness in your heart whole again. The thing that has been shattered, he would restore. Because our God is a God who makes the unclean clean. Every time we go to him, he makes us clean. Verse 45 says this, And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and all pressing all around you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out of me. Jesus felt power of healing flow from him to her in that moment. In that moment, there was no special prayer prayed. There was no special action done. There was the faith of a woman who needed a touch from Jesus. And power flowed from the king to a daughter of the king. Verse 47 says this, And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. She was afraid. Falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people. The thing that she tried to hide, now she's willing to share with everybody. The thing that she tried to keep secret, now she exposes to all because she had an encounter with the king. And she says in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how when she had been then she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Why, why was her healing so immediate? Why was it so in the moment, so quickly? Jesus says it's because of her faith, but I also believe, I also believe that it's that it was her need that, it, that expressed the very things that Jesus came to do. Jesus came to remove chains of the captive, and she was held captive. Jesus came to declare liberty to the oppressed, and she has been oppressed. Jesus came to bring the good news to the poor, and she had become poor. Jesus came to open up the blind of the eyes, and people didn't see her for who she really was. They saw her as an outcast, and he says, no, you're still a daughter. And so in those moments, because Christ had declared, this is why I'm here, and this is what I'm going to do, because her needs were in those areas when she touched him, and she knew, this is my last hope, healing flowed from him to her. Now, typically, this is where the story ends, if you've ever heard this message preached, about the woman with the issue of blood. She's been healed. We praise Jesus for her healing, and we taught about faith and receiving a miracle, but the story isn't over. 
The story doesn't stop there because there, there are two stories here, aren't there? We started with a man named Jairus who had a daughter, the synagogue ruler's daughter. And these stories actually should not be taught separately because they reveal a bigger truth. Luke, when he, when he, uses, he uses this writing style where he likes to frame the main point of his, of his message with supporting structures that reveal what the main point is really about. It's kind of like, I heard a professor say this, it's kind of like a sandwich. Right, the bread is really important. The bread is really good, but you never call the bread, uh, you never call the type of sandwich it is by the bread, unless you're like eating sourdough, right? A sourdough bread. Mainly, if you have a sandwich and it has ham in it, we call that a what? Ham sandwich. If it's got turkey in it, we call that a turkey sandwich. So this story and the stories surrounding it are revealing something about this woman with the issue of blood. She is the purpose of why he mentioned it before. She's now here, and then he comes back to it, wrapping up what, what is revealed there. So what, what, do we, what do we need to know? What is Luke trying to say to us? In this instance, surrounding the passages with supporting issues of what God is doing in the life of the woman with blood, with the issue of blood. Verse 49 says this, While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter except for Peter, John, and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. And taking her by the hand, notice he touched her, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once, and he directed that, some, that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but were charged not to tell anyone what happened. Jesus, in these stories, in these two stories, he actually restores two daughters to Jairus. He restores the one who was his biological daughter who had died after 12 years, and then he restored the spiritual daughter the woman with the issue of blood who had been gone for 12 years from the synagogue, the place of meeting. Jairus was the leader of the synagogue. And the daughter who should have been in the house had been far away from the house. And Jesus is revealing to us today that he can restore us to the place that we should be if we go to him and seek him and allow him to minister to our hearts. She the daughter of Jairus had been cut off from her father. And the woman with the issue of blood had been cut off from her heavenly father because she was told, you cannot worship him. There was no other worshiping of God except from the synagogue. If you know the Old Testament, they were not supposed to go anywhere else. And so she was not even allowed to cry out to God. She felt like she had no way of being heard by God. And in that moment, Jesus brought life and restored her back into the community of believers the story of Jairus' daughter is symbolic of what's taking place in the life of the woman with the issue of blood. And like Jairus' 12-year-old daughter, when touched by Jesus, came back to life, and the life of the woman, dismissed from the house of God, was given back to her and brought back to life in the house of God. What had been 
Previously disqualifying her, Jesus healed and restored. Have you ever felt disqualified? Have you ever felt like you didn't measure up? Have you ever felt too dirty? The things in your life that you think disqualify you are the very things God's going to touch and restore in you so that you can have fellowship with the Father again. There is nothing too dirty that He can't make worthy. So what is this event really telling us? What is it really about? Is it about God's healing? And what God can do, yeah, I believe that it is, but I also think there's more. I think this story is about being restored and God qualifying us to be in relationship with Him. And I believe that God is saying today that there is nothing that you have done or that has ever happened to you or things that you will do that can make make you unclean to the point where He can't make you clean again. The things in your life that once kept you away from God and away from the community of God, Jesus restores in the moment. It also speaks to the, to the community of God as well. Because sometimes we have the eyes to see what people have done, but not what God is doing in them. And we judge people when they try to come and sit in the house of God saying, what are you doing here? You're dirty. You should not be here. This is a holy place. And the community of God is the, is the one that continues to try to shun the one that God has restored. And so we should be a people that say, God, let us, let us be those with open arms and open hands to those no matter what's gone on in life, no matter what they look like, no matter what they've done. They're welcome in the house of God. Because Jesus is the one who restores. Jesus is the one who brings healing. Jesus is the one who sets free. Jesus is the one. In this story, Jesus is the one who removes the boundaries of the law that determined who could worship and who could not worship. He's the one who, who removed the boundaries of, of what they believed as who was in and who was out. And I think this is a powerful message for women today. In a society and in a world that tries to continue to press women down in the movement of the Me Too, there's something that Jesus is saying here that we've missed for quite some time. That women who used to be restricted from their worship because, that they, because they were women, Jesus says no more. There was a law that only, that only restricted women. This is a law that did not affect men. And Jesus in this story is saying, what you think restricts you no longer restricts you. In a society that says you can't do that because you're a woman, Jesus says you can do it because I've empowered you to do it. Come on, somebody. The things that you believe you can't do because society says you can't or because some people who are even believers will say, well, women can't do that because Jesus says no more. If I've redeemed you, if I've restored you, if I've put my power inside of you, there's nothing that you cannot do. I'm a firm believer women can teach the Word of God. If the Holy Spirit dwells within women, then who am I to say that, that, he, that he can't? Who are we to say that they can't? I believe that the, 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 the Holy Spirit is the equalizer. If He dwells in you and He dwells in me, let's fellowship together and worship God together. So women, you are not restricted in the house of God. You are not restricted at home. You are not restricted at your place of work. You're not restricted because the restriction has been removed. And like Jesus said to the daughter of Jairus, 
He says to you today, as he takes your hand, he says, arise and take your place. Let life come back into you. No matter what life has thrown out you that's trying to trample you and beat you down, Jesus reaches out, takes your hand, and tells you to rise up. And I believe for all of us, God is causing us to, and calling us to walk in restoration this morning. The things that would keep us away from God, Jesus says, I have the cure for that. The thing you thought disqualified you, Jesus says, I can make you qualified. He's saying to all of us today that all are welcome, no matter where you find yourself at in life, and no matter what things you are dealing with, Jesus has the cure. No one is disqualified from coming into the house of God. No one is disqualified from being in the presence of God. When I say no one, I mean no one. We have to be a church that says all are welcome. And I feel like the Lord is saying we need to reach out to those who have been alienated by the church and said, you have to stay out because you're not like us. And in return say, come and be a part of what I'm doing. Amen? Jesus has the cure. We don't, we don't judge. The Bible calls us to be witnesses, not the judge. The judge has the final say, but we stand at the side uh, of, uh, of the judge's bench witnessing to who Jesus is and the greatness of who he is to people that need to know him and let him decide who's in and who's out. Amen? I believe God is restoring. I believe God is working. And we need to be a people. Men, women, children, elderly, gay, straight. All are welcome in the house of God. Amen? Maybe that ruffled your feathers. Good. Because the Bible says all are welcome. So the question, what would you do if you were told you were disqualified from worshiping God? For the woman with the issue of blood, she felt like she had to sneak up on Jesus to touch the fringe of his garment. But today, Jesus comes in the Spirit face to face with you, saying you don't need to sneak up on me. I'm here to love you. I'm here to meet you. You're not disqualified. Come and find my peace. Come and find my rest. Come and find my love. Come and find my joy in knowing me. We don't need to sneak up on Jesus just to touch the hinge or the hem of his garment, we can now fully embrace our king. We can now fully run into his arms because he's what he's done for us on the cross. He spilled his blood for us so that we could have an open access to him. And that's what he's calling for us today.